Before we start, a quick announcement. Claudia Goldenjohn, professor of Harvard University, has just won the Nobel Prize in Economics for advancing the understanding of women's labour market outcomes. What she actually did wow. was she was like a detective. She went and found series after series, time series, data on why women do not get paid as well as men across the board, which is still the case. And it's mm. extraordinary and it's actually timely and it's about time that the Nobel Prize mm. is awarded to a woman for this. Is she this, the first woman to win a... No, 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 no. Okay. no. But, but, but for specifically talking about the fact that women do not earn as much as men, have not done... She was the oh, first yes. then, was she? She did all the hard yards. And in, in a way, research is a bit like detective work. You know, you've got to go and find this stuff. Yeah. It's not there. Now, at Kilconomics, we have two of probably the most famous female economists, right? We have Stephanie Kelton and Isabella Weber, most likely the two most influential voices in female economics in the globe right now. They are challenging all the conventions of the mainstream economics on money, central banking, interest rates, inflation. And both of those have been on the podcast. Both of them have been on the podcast. And I'm delighted that we're going to host them for the first time ever together at Kilconomics. Brilliant. So listen to Economics as you've never heard it before. Show Me the Money is the actual gig. It's on Saturday night, November 4th in the Watergate Theatre. See Kilconomics.com for Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by ACAST. How are you doing there? It is podcast time. And what we're going to do today, given the news this week, is we're going to explore the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. But we're probably going to give you a little bit of history, a little bit of personal experience, not necessarily a huge all-encompassing treatise on what's going on or what has gone on or what will go on, but just our own little musings on what has been possibly the most significant political and geopolitical flashpoint of the last 40 or 50 years, John. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the thing is, we, there was loads of stuff we were talking about what we were going to do this week and, and for today, but this is the story that has kind of taken over the yeah. week. Oh, just by the way, on the Irish budget, we will do a full Irish yeah. budget gig <laughs> in a couple of days' time. So yeah. bear with us on the Irish budget, but we are just going to talk, as I'm saying, about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Yeah. And for me... In general, the whole Middle East question, you know, has been overshadowed all our youth, all our lives 
It's always been there. And I've always struggled with, you know, I can see both sides. Yep. But I kind of struggle with it. Because the one thing is for sure, Israel ain't going away. And equally, the Palestinians aren't going away. Absolutely. So I don't know how you, there's been all sorts of negotiations and Good Friday agreements to, you know, yeah, for yeah, want of a better word, you know, Camp David and all that kind of stuff. And it seems to work for a while and then it seems to fall apart. But one thing is for sure is that if you kick a dog enough, it's going to snap and it's going to bite back. And that's what's happening. And it keeps happening. Yeah. But here's the thing. You've spent time there. You've lived there. You've lived amongst the Israelis and the Jews yeah. and the Palestinians. So you yeah. have a bit of an insight. A bit of an insight. I, I, so what's your take on The bizarre things, John, is you remember this. We, we both lived in London at the time, except I kept going to Israel and I took a flat in a place called Ramat Gan. Yeah. And just because I didn't want to live in more or less the kind of Western areas, I thought I might try to live amongst the Israelis if I was yeah. going to be there. I ended up being the Israeli economist for UBS, which was a bizarre, bizarre job title to have. Yeah, yeah. And I think you might have remembered me coming back to London with, you know, all sorts of carry on and stories and <laughs> yarns and all sorts of stuff. But it kind of gave me a little insight. It's a long time ago now. So it was a very different country. But I think what we should do in order to get a sense of what's happening, John, I know it's a weird thing to do, but we're going to start at not the very beginning, because yeah. the very beginning goes back into the eons, thousands and thousands of years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was there? The who was a right? There is a book called Since Time Immemorial by a guy called Morris, who is an English writer about his ideas. Jewish people have always lived in Palestine. They've, it's always been their homeland. Yeah. And it's really all about coming back. And from time immemorial is basically the clue is in the title. It's basically saying, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is our neck of the woods. Okay. But that's not the story that most of us really know. And in, in a way, it's kind of a bit like saying that Dublin belongs to Norwegian people because it was founded by Vikings. You know, you, you, <laughs> yes. how far are we yes. going to go back, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think, well, speaking of Dublin, we're going to start our Israeli-Palestinian discussion in Dorset Street, John. Okay? Right, okay. In Dorset Street in North Dublin. Right. We're going to What's start it in the chapter of Ulysses, James Joyce's Ulysses, uh, where we meet right. our Jewish hero, Bloom for the very first time. Of course, he was, yeah, Leopold Bloom was Jewish. Yeah, yeah I forgot of course. About that. Yeah, so yeah. he leaves Eccles Street on the morning of the 16th of June, 1904. Now, 1904 is very important in this because Israel is founded in 1948. Yeah. So this is the middle of June, 1904. Molly Bloom is getting up. He's talking to the cat. The cat's meowing. He thinks, I better go out. He walks out of Eccles Street yeah. Goes down the road, meets Larry O'Rourke, the publican. Yeah. Tries to sell him an ad. Larry's not having it. Mooch is on. And he's on his way to the Jewish butcher, a guy called Dulgas. Yeah. Who is also Jewish. Right. And is a Zionist. And this is the important thing. Did that exist? Zionism now, exists. Exactly. So right. do you remember we were in Austria? Yes. And we were at the Secession Museum three weeks ago. Yeah. And I was talking about all the geezers who were hanging out in the turn of the century in Austria. Mm. One of them was a guy called Theodore Herzl, who yes. is the head chief bottle washer of Zionism, who was a Jewish intellectual. He said, Jews are having such a hard time in pogroms in Eastern Europe and Central Europe that ultimately the only way in which Jewish people can live peacefully is in their own homeland. Okay? Right. So this is all important Gated for us. Gated community. Gated community called Israel, right? Yeah, yeah. But park that for a minute. 
And let's go back to Joyce. Right. So 1904, our friend Bloom goes to the butcher. He buys a gland, a kidney, <laughs> off the ferret-eyed pork butcher. So he's a Jewish pork butcher. So already Joyce is playing with everything, right? Yes. The ferret-eyed pork butcher folded the sausages he had snipped off with blotchy fingers, sausage pink, sound meat there like a stall-fed heifer. And we're going to do a little audio clip from the great audio book of Ulysses by the wonderful Irish actor Jim Norton playing Bloom. Right. Listen to this. He took up a page from the pile of cut sheets. The model farm at Kinnereth on the lakeshore of Tiberias can become ideal winter sanatorium, Moses Montefiore. Moses Montefiore, right? Yeah. Now, Moses Montefiore, John, yes. okay, was an incredibly wealthy man. You may well know there's a guy called Seabag Montefiore. That's his story, right. His story, yeah, was, same family. Same who wrote family. that book on the Romanovs. The very same man. So the same. I'm learning. I'm the, the, the very learning. same. Moses Montefiore, a very yeah. wealthy man, is buying land in Palestine. Right. Okay. This is the ad. So he clocks the ad. He also is clocking the rear of the lady in front of him. And he's sleazing about that, right? Right. But then let's hear Joyce writing about the ad. Here's Jim Norton again about the ad for land in Palestine. He walked along Dorset Street, reading gravely, Agendath Natayim, mm, Planters Company, to purchase vast sandy tracts from Turkish government and plant with eucalyptus trees, excellent for shade, fuel and construction, orange groves and immense melon fields north of Jaffa. You pay eight marks and they plant a dunum of land for you with olives, oranges, almonds or citrons. Olives cheaper, oranges need artificial irrigation. Every year you get a sending of the crop, your name entered for life as owner in the Book of the Union can pay 10 down and the balance in yearly instalments. Bly Traubstrasse, 34 Berlin, W15. Nothing doing. Still, an idea behind it. So did you hear that there? Nothing doing, says Bloom, but still an idea in it. Yeah. The idea is Israel. Right? Right. So okay. this is a fascinating thing. So what Joyce is writing is that Bloom was being advertised to by people who were buying land in Palestine, which was then under the Ottoman Empire, in right. order to give Jewish people in Europe a safe home away from Central Europe. Now, this is fascinating because they didn't know that the Holocaust was about to happen. This is the mm. fascinating thing about history. They didn't know the Holocaust would happen. Right. But some of them had a feeling. And Herzl was the man who had the feeling more than most, right? And he said, look, the Ottoman Empire is there. The Ottomans run the place. Why don't we set up a fund to buy land there and then sell that land, as you could hear from the ad in mm. Ulysses, back to Jewish people, to Zionists in Europe, in order, it was almost like an insurance policy for them against anti-Semitism. Right, okay. anti-Semitism was rife in Europe at the time, okay? Yeah. And there were pogroms and Jewish people were discriminated against and all that sort of thing. So what you have amazingly in Joyce is, now Joyce wrote this between about 1912 and 19, let's say 19, mm. right? Around this period. But he locates it in 1904. And he mentions 
Dublin Jewish people. He mentions three families in particular, Herzogs, mm. which is an amazing thing because it is actually the president of Israel's people. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So yeah. the president of Israel, Bougie Herzog's dad, Chaim Herzog, was a Dubliner. Right. He mentions another family called Majeskis and another family called the Citrons. And amazingly, the Citrons, one of the Citrons, again, the granddaughter, the great-granddaughter of this geezer that Joyce knew, yeah. Tracy Citron was in college with me. Stole oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No so, way. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. okay. So where do we start? So why is Joyce writing about Zionism? He's writing about Zionism because he wrote the book in Trieste. Trieste was the main port of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. Yeah. And the main port of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire was, it was the exit point for Jewish people from Poland and from Galicia and from those parts of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire to go to Palestine. Right, okay. Bef well before Israel's ever thought about it. In this case, it's only an idea. Do, do you know how, how much land they actually bought through these ads and stuff? I'm not sure how much it they bought, but it was pockets, going. It was little just... pockets all over yeah, the place. Yeah. So the land was being sold, interestingly, by the local Arab people to them. Okay. And it was just like, this was this was a deal, right? Yeah. Somebody said, you know, I wouldn't Holiday mind that. home type I would, of vibe. Exactly. So yeah. all these Jewish people, not all, yeah. many Jewish people were leaving Europe via Trieste. Mm. So they were just going down the Adriatic and across the Aegean and into Israel. So the main port was Trieste. And of course, Joyce was watching all this. And Joyce then thought, hmm, this is interesting, right? And of course, that's where he comes up with this yeah. whole scene that he puts in Dublin, but his ideas came from Trieste. Right. But it wouldn't have been unusual in Dublin at the time for Jewish newspapers to have a Zionist element in them and sell land to Jews from Dublin, from London. And the interesting thing about the ad is the place was Berlin. So it was yeah. from German Jews, right? Right, okay. So this is the beginning of Zionism. People always said to me, how do they get there? How do they end up there? In the yeah, Berlin? yeah, yeah. So this is the beginning of this mass migration of Central European and Galician Jews in particular to Palestine well, well before the Balfour Agreement. So the Balfour Agreement is 1917. 1917, yeah. And yeah. that is the agreement which Kayam Weizmann of the Weizmann Institute actually persuaded Balfour to sign, which was that the Jewish lobby in England in particular knew that they would have to depend on England to give them the land, mm. British Palestine. And British Palestine was coming into view in 1917 because the Ottoman Empire was collapsing. Yes, And of yeah, course yeah. the Brits were going to pick it up and the French, and they actually carved up Ottoman Palestine and Syria between France and Britain. That's a different sort of story. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. what is interesting... But it all feeds into it. Yeah, in 1904... These ads were being placed in Jewish newspapers all around Europe, Central Europe, Eastern Europe, and Western Europe. Joyce picks up on them. And Bloom, of course, says, not a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, so it yeah, sparked yeah. something in his head. But what we have then is this very modest emigration of Jewish people from Central and Eastern Europe to Palestine. Do you have any numbers on that? We're talking tens of thousands, right? Okay. Not millions, tens yeah, of thousands. Yeah. They were also regarded by their Jewish neighbours and cousins and families as a bit, being a bit mad. Okay. Because yeah, nobody yeah. knew the Holocaust was coming. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it's a bit of a pogrom and yeah, it's a bit of a pain so in the like arse. going to the Wild West, go going, to the Wild East. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, it, was, yeah. it was like people going to a commune and as far as most Jews in Europe, particularly secular Jews in Europe, 
they were thinking, what would you do that for? Mm. You know, we're grand here. Yeah, there's a bit of hassle, but this is before Hitler, before Nazis, before any of this sort of thing. So there was a trickle of Jews going to Palestine to add to what was an original Jewish community, but a very small Jewish community mm. that had been there for 2,000 years, right? Yeah. That yeah, hadn't yeah. been kicked out by the Romans. And of course, it was Vespasian. We've talked about Vespasian, the man who said pecunia non olet. Do you remember, money does not smell? That's right, yes. Okay. Yeah, he yeah. was the guy who kicked the Jews out in the first place. Right, okay. Okay, in AD 70, with the destruction of the temple, which is the base of the Wailing Wall. Uh, fascinating place to go, by the way. Fascinating yeah. place to go. So there's a trickle from Europe before the First World War. Balfour says, we will give you a homeland. But he's kind of putting it on the long finger. He's thinking, this will never have to come to pass. You know, it'll mm. be fine. 1917, 1918, 1919, Versailles Treaty, the Brits take over Palestine, a place called Transjordan, which they called it, right? Which yeah. is Transjordan, the Jordan River, the place on the far side of the Jordan River. And everyone's kind of okay. You know, there's a small trickle of Jews coming. It's not a big deal. And what had happened in, in the Turkish Empire was that it was obviously a Muslim empire. Yeah. And Jews and Christians paid a tax to the Turks in order to be allowed to worship. And okay. Palestine is full at this stage of Christians. This is the interesting thing. Mm. So the biggest Christian communities in the Middle East were in Palestine, that part of Jordan, and of course, Lebanon. And these were very old, very, very sophisticated, unbelievably intellectual traders, the whole mm. thing. These are Coptic Christians. These were Coptic Christians. Yeah. These were Greek Christians as well. So you've right. the Copts in Egypt, You've the Greek Orthodox Christians, then you've the you've got the Maronites, you've got a whole crowd, yeah. you've got Armenians, you've all classes of people hanging out there, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a mosaic of different religions, right? Of which the Jews are one part. Mm. And they're buying up land, but not in a particularly aggressive way and not in a particularly material way. Because those original Zionists and the early Zionists mm, mm. are regarded as kind of weirdos. Yeah. Yeah. And they're also interested in members of a, a Jewish communist or very left-wing group called the Bund. And that's why they set up kibbutzes. Now, you might remember kibbutzes when we were young. Lots and lots of Irish people went on to kibbutzes. Yeah, in the 60s and 70s, 60s and it was 70s. a real thing. Instead of doing the J1, you go to a kibbutz. You go to, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. go to a kibbutz, and a kibbutz was a set up as a sort of a Marxist, flat, no class, everybody's part of the same effort. Mm. A commune. Yeah, you work your arse off. And it by came all from this idea of yeah. Bundism. And Bundism was this Jewish left wing idea yeah. coming from Russia and coming from Poland. So, what you're talking about is up until the Second World War, kind of unusual people. Then, of course, when the huge anti Semitism kicks in in Nazi Germany, more and more people choose to go to yeah. Palestine. But interestingly, they had somewhere to go at so that stage. Yeah, but interestingly, most of the middle and upper middle class Jews are thinking, I don't want to go to Palestine. I want to go to the desert. I can yeah, go there on yeah. my holidays and visit Jerusalem. After, I want to go to America. I want to go to England. I want to go to sophisticated places. I want to go to South Africa. And most, many of them went to Argentina. Yeah. So that's why there's a huge Argentinian uh, Jewish population. Right. South Africa, right? So they're all spread all over. But of course, then you get the Holocaust. And again, it's so important to understand this. We now know the Holocaust happened. So we can ex post rationalize lots of things and say, why well, weren't those early Zionists really mm. clever and far farsighted? But nobody saw this coming. So you have to always see the Holocaust in the event that we have 
the luxury of knowing it's happening and then we can reframe history against the background. Yeah. But people didn't know that. Can just stop you there for a second? You said a lot of Jews went to Argentina. Yeah. But a lot of ex-Nazis went to Argentina as well. Fascinating as and, well. And what happened then? In, in... And the Jews in Argentina went after, became Nazi hunters after the Second World War. Mm. It's a fascinating story. So, you know, the reason that uh, so many of the Nazis in Argentina were caught was because there were many, many Argentinian, Spanish-speaking Jews there who basically went undercover and found them. Right, 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 right. But again, that's yeah, another yeah. that's another odd story. But Argentina has the largest Jewish community, one of the largest Jewish communities in the world. I didn't know that. Yeah, I massive. I think two or 300,000. Really, really big. Yeah. But they're coming for about 60 or 70 years before the Holocaust. Mm. So then we get the Second World War, and then the Brits, who had this little piece of paper saying, oh, we promised the Jews this homeland, that then is taken out of the bottom drawer and put into the top drawer of the to-do list after yes. the Second World War. Yeah. They say, we need to give these people a homeland. I've always thought that they should have given them a bit of Germany or a bit of Central Europe. Because yeah. after all, you know, the Germans were culpable. They were the people who carried out the Holocaust, the Germans and all the other Central Europeans. Yeah. No Palestinian ever guarded a Jew at Auschwitz. True. Right? True. So the Palestinians yeah. are sitting there thinking, this is a scrap between Europeans. Not really a lot to do with us. Yeah, we've got some Jewish neighbors, but, you know, they've been yeah. around for a while. We've got these new Jewish people. So they had no reason really to fear what was about to be imposed upon them. Mm. There is some anti-Semitism in the Ottoman Empire, but in comparison to what went on in Europe, small beer. Mm. So then what happens after the Second World War is many, many Holocaust survivors come to Israel. Yeah. 1945, 1946, 1947, 1948. 1948, the United Nations sets up Israel. It's also quite weird because the Israelis are now so anti the United Nations. And the yeah. UN observers and UN people. The UN set the bloody thing up. Yeah, but they, they don't go along with any of the and UN rules anyway. That's, so that's one of the interesting conversations. How come that relationship, right, over the years. Mm. So then you've got everybody's in Palestine vying for, you know, who's going to make the next move. And then Palestinians are beginning to worry, thinking, hold on a second, you know, are the Brits going to sell us down the, the Swanee? Yeah. So in the late 40s, there's tens of thousands yeah. of, of Jews arriving in. So there's huge amount of investment and building. No, there's and one of the best books to read on this is Amos Oz's book about his parents who came over, right? Right. So these people are incredibly poor. Yeah. But they've survived concentration camps. Yeah. So they have nothing. They have absolutely nothing. The investment comes from Jewish agencies around the world to basically give them somewhere to live. They're, they're living in tents at the beginning. They're, they're, these are refugees. Yes. These yeah, are yeah, yeah. all refugees. So the Palestinians are thinking, okay, look, when I say the Palestinians, the Arab and Christian indigenous people are kind of thinking, oh, okay, this could work out quite badly for us. Yeah. But we're not culpable. We didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think in many ways the Arabs thought, well, you know, don't worry, it'll all be fine. The Brits will they come to They were quite welp- welcoming. And they the were beginning. very welcoming, yeah. very, very welcoming, very understanding. They looked on the Jews of Europe, like the whole world looked on the Jews of Europe, like the most desperate, traumatized refugees. Mm. They're like, okay, come on, come in, right? Yeah. Of course, in the background, they're aware there's this sort of promise that was given but they're kind of figuring out that it will be actually 
it'll be very small because at this stage, 90% of Israel is Arab. 90%. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're, they're aware that public opinion and global opinion is on the side of the Jews. So there's also at the same time, interestingly, a Jewish terrorist group oh. called the Stern Group, the main player of whom was Menachem Begin, who ends up being prime minister in yeah. the 70s and whose nom de plume or nom de guerre is Michael, after Michael Collins. So right. the Israeli terrorists who were trying to terrorize the Brits into leaving Palestine adopted exactly the same tactics as the IRA. And not only that, but took IRA pen names right. for themselves. Mm. So there was British soldiers in Palestine, British policemen, because it's part of the British Empire yeah. in a bizarre way, even though the British Empire yeah, is dying, yeah. right? Yeah. And there is a, the pivotal moment is a massacre in the King David Hotel, which is in Jerusalem, a place I've actually stayed, right? Right. And the bomb goes off, kills many dozens of people, right? Kills many dozens of soldiers and British policemen. Right. And the Brits think, yeah. we better get out of here. So they then hand over the responsibility to the UN. Okay. And the UN come in and they say, okay, look, the Jews need a homeland. They're on a promise of a homeland. There's a few of them here, and they create the state of Israel, which is two states, one for the Jews and one for the Arabs. Yeah. But the Arabs are thinking, hold on a second. Yeah, it's not a good deal. It's not a good deal for us. Yeah. We don't want to be in a state with these German-speaking Jews. Yeah. They don't speak Arabic, right? You know, they're not part of our, of our gang. And frankly, we want to be part with the Jordanians, and we want, you know, we want of our own country here. Yeah, yeah. Not was, to share this place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've just let you guys in. And, of course, 1948, just after, so the UN comes up with the charter, says, okay, this is the, this is the deal on the table. The Jewish delegation signs says, yeah, we'll have that, because they've nothing else, mm. right? The Arabs say, we're not having that. You're taking our back gardens, right? This is our land, right? Even though some of it's already been bought who, by the Jews. Who, who was the head of the UN back then? Because this must be you. one of their first... Acts this as, is one of their first as an acts. institution. I couldn't tell you the head, but they're very credible at the time. So this is like, right. this is basically, brand new. the United Nations is going to change the world. Yeah. So everyone goes along with it, except the Arabs say, hold on a second, man. Right? Now, of course, the Arabs have got Syria, Jordan, and Egypt on their side. So in 1948, when this fledgling Jewish state says, we'll take whatever we're given, thank you very much. Mm. Right? Even though they have been agitating for quite some time particularly in London, mm. for a decent chunk of land. The whole world is on a guilt trip about the Holocaust, and rightly so. But as I say, no Palestinian ever patrolled yeah. Yeah, exactly. the camps. Yeah. No Palestinian ever shot a Jewish person in Europe. So the Palestinians have completely clean hands here. Yeah. And they're getting shafted. Yeah. So they go to their Arab brethren and say, listen, lads, we can't be having this. And in 1948, it's the first... Arab-Israeli war. And simultaneously, Jordan, Syria, and Egypt declare war on Israel and start a war. Everyone expects the Israelis to be beaten, because after all, there are tens of thousands of them, maybe 50, 60, you know, they're a nothing country. Yeah. And amazingly, they win against these three. So that begins this Israeli narrative, right? Which is that what we need is security. Right? What we cannot trade is land, because if we trade this land, these guys will come and get it. So 1948, the Israelis win this war, much to the annoyance of the Arabs, 
much to the shock of the West, but, here's the big but, during this war, they have policy of ethnic cleansing against Palestinians. So they go into villages and towns, right, under the umbrella of this is war, and this is what the Palestinians refer to as the Nakba. Right. The Nakba is Arab for the catastrophe. Mm. And this is when 200,000 Arabs are expelled from their own villages and their own towns. And Israelis come in. So this is the first... And they're the lads who have ended up in the refugee... In the Gaza. In Gaza yeah. and, and all and, over. But also in Lebanon, still in tents. In the tents. And I've seen them in Lebanon. I've yeah. seen the refugee camps in Lebanon. In Jordan as well. Yeah. So these people get completely shafted by the Israelis under the umbrella of if we don't take their land, they'll come and get us. Mm. Because look, we signed this... UN charter in good faith, and these guys came and attacked us. Mm. So that's the first story, right? All the while through the 1950s, Jews continued to come to Israel yeah. from all yeah, over yeah, the world, yeah. right? Yeah. Many of them Zionists, many of them idealistic, many of them because they've nowhere else to go, many of them thinking, I don't want to live in Europe, right? I'm German, I'm Austrian, I'm French, I'm Polish. Yeah. And there's also profound anti-Semitism in Eastern Europe still going on. Yeah. So many, many Jews who came back to Eastern Europe after the camps found themselves kicked out of their professions, all that sort of stuff. So they're gradually coming to Israel. Israeli population is growing. Arab population is getting more and more displaced. You're getting the West Bank. You're getting Gaza. And what you're getting is the beginnings of the Palestinian issue. Yeah. Because suddenly you have... Friction. A, there's more and more friction. But you have a displaced population. Yeah. You have a displaced population, you have a cleansed population, you have a population that has been run off their land. And everybody's hoping in a way that they'll turn into Sudeten Germans, right? You might know the Sudeten Germans were Germans who were kicked out of Czechoslovakia, who lived there for thousands of years or hundreds of years. Mm. They were all kicked out. They all went to Bavaria and they kind of kept their mouth shut Yeah, and they got on with their lives. So the assumption was that the Palestinians would turn into Sudeten Germans, right? Why was that an assumption? Because the major power block in Israel were called Yakel, and they were Germans who wore jackets, right? They were German Jews, left-wing German Jews, schooled in Germany, educated in Germany, and their view was that the Palestinians would just kind of disappear. They will become Jordanian, they will become Lebanese, they will become Syrian, they will become Egyptian, and we will have our state. In the same way as the Czechs, when they kicked out the Sudeten Germans, never thought about them again. Yeah. Right? But that didn't happen. Yeah. We'll take a quick break now. Okay. And then we'll continue our look at the development of Israel. But I also want to ask you about the economy at the time and then what happened in the 60s and beyond that. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively. 
But not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability. Because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So at this stage, Israel... On one hand, it's kind of booming, isn't it? But all these people coming in, there's loads of building going on. Yeah. And there's more and more people. So what, what's the economy like it's, then? It's a, it's a quasi-socialist country. Right. This is the fascinating thing. So it's run by Hizdadrut, which was the trade union movement. Right. And this is because most of the Central European Jews who settled in Israel were very much building a state. And what you always find in building a new state is most new states are very public sector driven. Even right. Ireland was yeah. the same, because you're building yeah. something, right? So basically you put all this capitalism stuff in the box and you say, we're going to build roads, we're yeah. going to build houses, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you have to get the basics you right. Let's get the basics right. So we're talking about the 50s, 60s, even into the 70s, and even into the 80s, Israel is like a very socialist country. Yeah. So this is coming into the 60s. Yeah, mid-60s. Tension. So the, the economy is building, Israel is building as a nation, but so are the tensions. Yeah, so the tensions, so are, so the tensions are external and internal. So across the Arab world, after the Suez crisis in 1956, you have the Colonel Nasser in Egypt. Yeah. You have the beginnings of what's the Ba'ath nationalist, pan-Arabist socialist movement, which Assad is of, Saddam Hussein is of. These are the Ba'athist parties. Oh, yeah, okay. That comes from Egypt, right? Yeah. And so what... What Nasser emerges, so that what the Arabs have been always, not always, so a part of the Arabs have always thought, look, all these Arabic countries are colonial constructs. Sykes-Picot, the French and the Brits sitting down, drawing lines in the sand. Mm-hmm. We are one big nation. We're one big brotherhood. We're one big culture, one big language, one big religion. Nasser comes in in the Suez crisis, where the Brits and the French were sent packing, in effect, right? And he says, yes, we can unify. And this movement becomes unbelievably attractive to Arab countries. So Syria becomes Ba'athist, the Ba'ath Socialist Party there. Yeah. Iraq becomes Ba'athist, Egypt is Ba'athist. So what you have is a, an ideology in the Arab countries, all of whom, as their fundamental basis, is a hatred of Israel, which they see as an illegitimate state full of settlers, planters, colonizers, and right. occupiers. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's all building. Internally, of course, the Palestinians are shafted and they are now living in refugee camps all over the place. Of course, the PLO is emerging at this stage, all that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. Palestine Liberation Organization, okay? The Israelis are well aware of all this and they are, of course, beefing up their military as well as beefing up their economy. And then it all comes to a massive catastrophic crescendo in 1967 with the second big Arab-Israeli war. Yes. The so-called Six-Day War. Yeah. And again, the Arabs would have thought, we've an overwhelmingly bigger armies. We have Russian 
logistics and tanks and, and weapons now, we should have a go. And of course, the Israeli army does what it did in the past and they fight back. Now, maybe, of course, because they're fighting for their actual lives. Yeah. Whatever the dynamic is. But they also have American... But have massive American support, yes. right? Yeah. But at this, at this stage, the Arabs have massive Russian support too. So you would have thought that these two superpowers would equal themselves out. Anyway, yeah. the long and the short is, the Israelis captured the Golan Heights, which are mountains looking into Damascus. So mm. he who captures Golan owns the whole northern part of Israel and the southern part of Syria. The Israelis captured. Yeah. The Israelis go into the Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip, we forget, was an Egyptian enclave run by the Egyptians right. until yeah. this war. The Israelis go in there. They take all of the West Bank. So it's the West Bank of the Jordan River from the river to Jerusalem, right? And that's, you know, Nablus and Jericho and all these, Bethlehem, all these places we know from yeah. the Bible, right? Yeah. Right? Huge Palestinian areas. They also take the Sinai, huge parts of Egypt. That then, John, is the launching pad for the next phase. So we did like Joyce to, let's say, 1970, yeah, right? Yeah. The beginning of Israel, the displacement of the Palestinians. The beginning of Zionism. The of Zionism, Israel, the UN, the Palestinians getting shafted, the Arabs getting shafted. Now we're in a situation where the Israelis control the West Bank, which turns into a settler mm. jamboree for the settlers, a disaster for the locals. They control all the holy sites, the Alaska Mosque in East Jerusalem. Yeah. They control Gaza. They control Sinai. They control Golan. The Israelis are in an imperious position, right? This is 50 years ago, more than 50 years ago. And that starts the second period because that's when the Palestinians are now totally displaced. They are now occupied by the Israeli army in the West Bank. They are occupied in Gaza. They have lost in Golan. And this is the simmering point, of the second part of the history. Yeah, it, it, it's fascinating stuff because it, it's such a deep and complicated history. Yeah. And, and and by the way, John, lots of people listening, lots of listeners might say, no, I, I have a different opinion as to what happened. Yeah, yeah well, true, true, true. But yes. I'm hoping I've laid out the facts as I see them and the historical well, moments, the, the big hinge points, you know. Okay, so we've we've got up to the Six-Day War. So we're in the 60s, at the end of the 60s. Yeah. So let's come back next week and look at the backdrop of all this, the economic yeah, backdrop yeah, of all okay. this, where we'll have the oil crisis in the 70s, and then we'll look at Camp David, the Intifadas, and, and also, indeed, the tech story, which is enormous. Yeah, and no, it's a huge story. And how we actually got to today and this horrible situation and where we go, where we might go from here. Okay, well, we'll see you in talk in a couple of days. I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. 
Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. If you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie, check out the podcast, Another Bite. Each week, Another Bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, Another Bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for Another Bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now.